risk management is never about perfection. It's really about giving those senior leaders, those business managers, those leaders in those organizations, the best defenses possible and the best information so they can make credible risk-based decisions. It always is about the mission of the business. Sometimes you got to go with a little more risky operations because your risk tolerance may be a little bit greater. Sometimes you're more conservative, but that's kind of where all that is leading. Welcome to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast, where we share short and to the point perspectives on the cyber landscape. It's all about engaging yet casual conversations on what organizations are doing to reimagine their cyber programs while ensuring their business objectives are top priority. With my co-host, Stan Wisseman, Head of Security Strategist, I'm Rob Borrego, Chief Security Strategist, and this is Reimagining Cyber. Hello, this is part two of our conversation with Ron Ross. Ron is a fellow with NIST, National Institute for Standards, and focuses in on many areas, but specifically our conversation carries into cyber resilience. If you didn't have an opportunity to listen to the first part of our conversation with Ron Ross, I suggest you do. There's a lot of great information that came out of it. Let's pivot a little bit, Ron, into um, a conversation you and I kind of had previously. There's this, um, there's definitely this kind of, you know, evolution, if you will, of what we've been doing, as you said, for you know, plus 40 years now in cybersecurity into this mindset of cyber resilience. But the reality is they, they intersect, right? So, so let's talk a little bit about kind of you know, what that looks like, what that kind of difference, but really the intersection points are of cyber resilience with cybersecurity. Well, cybersecurity, I think where let's talk about each of those independently, we can get to where they overlap, the intersection. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think for the last 40 years, ever since I've been doing cybersecurity, it's been 30 years now, and cybersecurity has been around for 40 plus years. Mm-hmm. They've, we've relied on that one-dimensional strategy. It's, it's penetration resistance. It's building that wall as high as you can build it and hoping the, the bad guys can't get over the top of that. What's happened over the last, uh, especially the last 10 years, we've seen this massive explosion of technology and connectivity. And with all of that, our traditional methods of protecting in the cybersecurity space, we, we've kind of operated in the stovepipe in some sense. The, these cybersecurity programs, uh, every organization has them, but sometimes they're not very well connected to the, the organization's mission or business functions. The, the C-suite at the top of the organization, they're the real risk takers, and they know that cybersecurity is an issue, but I don't think everybody has always connected the criticality of the mission of the business to those cybersecurity protections. And the fact that a lot of cybersecurity programs operate in the stovepipe or in a vacuum, you don't have that connectivity from business operations all the way down to the implementation. So that first dimension that we've had for the past 40 years, uh, that, that is still important. And we're not going to get away from that. But when you talk about cyber resiliency, as we said before, even on your best day with your A-team, you're not always going to be successful against this very sophisticated adversary. And so when we talk about moving that, uh, that stovepipe or that one dimension into a multidimensional strategy, the first thing that we can do is look at, I call it a second dimension of damage limitation. So let's assume the APT has breached your perimeter. They've established a presence within your system. How can you do uh, things that are going to limit the damage that they would normally do? Like in the OPM case, we had the OPM breach back in 2015. Right. They were in for seven months before the, uh, the organization discovered they were there. And they, they exfiltrated 22 
and a half million records. So if we, if we look at that as an example, what could we have done to limit the damage? How could we have reduced the number of uh, SF-86 files that were exfiltrated, which is the most sensitive and critical data we have? Well, there's two ways to do that. And these two methods, one is in time and one is in space. The, 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 first, the, the first part of the second dimension strategy is using virtualization techniques and micro-virtualization. You basically, through those uh, techniques, you churn the infrastructure, the system, faster than the adversary can carry out their attack sequence. So th that's pretty much well established. There's a very well-defined attack sequence. Adversaries need time on target. They need, to, they need to breach the perimeter. They need to understand their environment and they need time to carry out the attack. Now that can go very quickly if they have a lot of information on the architecture, the type of system. But virtualization can, can bring that to a screeching halt because if you are churning your, your components and your infrastructure, refreshing them at a rate that is faster than they can do damage, then that's one way where you can just cut that attack sequence. Yeah. The second thing we can do is in space. We, there's a, not a new concept, but it's the concept of zero trust, zero trust concepts, zero trust architectures. Mm -hmm. in, in some sense, what you're doing here is you are slowing down their ability to move laterally across the system and then do a transitive attack from system to system. If you think about a perimeter today and we have all of our access control and authentication authorization uh, uh, controls and, and technologies that we apply, sometimes those are applied at the perimeter. Once you're in, you're in and you can get access to all the resources inside that perimeter. Zero trust kind of collapses that perimeter and what you do, you are using the same access control authorization and things like that, but you're doing it on smaller, smaller, smaller and smaller components of the system. So almost every resource you have to go through, it has strong access, access control, strong INA, identification, authentication, authorization. And so you're really, um, you're increasing that work factor of the adversary. It's kind of like if you've got a lock on your front door and, and the bad guys break through the front door, they can just pillage your house, go through every room and steal everything. What, what if they came in the house and every room in your house had a vault? You know, they, they would have to go through and go through every one of those rooms and, and penetrate that vault. That's the kind of the analogy of, of zero trust concepts and zero trust architecture. So if you look at either one of those independently, the massive virtualization, micro virtualization, and the zero trust, either one of those is going to help slow down the adversary, limit the damage. Together, you're now potentially coming into the situation where we don't care what the adversary throws at us. It's kind of a bring it on type of scenario because once they get inside, their life is miserable. And if you combine that into our third dimension of cyber resiliency, using some of the techniques and approaches in 8160 volume two, now you're gonna, you're gonna be doing a whole lot better 99.9% .9 of the time it doesn't mean you're perfect. Risk management is never about perfection. It's really about giving those senior leaders, those business managers, those leaders in those organizations, the best defenses possible and the best information so they can make credible risk-based decisions. It always is about the mission of the business. Sometimes you gotta go with a little more risky operations because your risk tolerance may be a little bit greater. Sometimes you're more conservative, but that's kind of where all that is leading. Yeah, and I totally agree with the, the aspect of um, translating that back into the, the risk. I might get to that in a second as we kind of close things out. 
But I also want to go back to what you talked about in kind of those three different areas. Ultimately, what they're doing is they're raising the cost to the attacker, right? Absolutely. So they're not going to want to invest the cycles on that target per se, because they're seeing how difficult it is. Time is money. They got to move on to the next thing. So exactly right. Transition to kind of the last piece I wanted to bring up, which you were touching upon, which is uh, I still, and for the past several years, have wholeheartedly tried to say, we need to translate the cybersecurity aspects, and now cyber resilience is part of that story, ultimately to what the actual cyber risk is to an organization. Because it always comes back into, ultimately, the mission of the business, as you were stating, is about specific areas of focus, right? And making sure that they're operating is key to number one focus of what they're all, all about. And so that cyber risk element to me, it's basically kind of this umbrella where cybersecurity, cyber resilience are all part of and key components of what you're trying to do. But ultimately that conversation back, for example, with the board, the C-suite is about what's the risk appetite, right? What's the risk tolerance for our particular business? What are we willing to take on? And based upon understanding those things, then I can go architect the proper program with the cyber resilience elements baked in, understanding what that translation and acceptance criteria is for the business so I can now execute it. Would you, would you agree that that's kind of all tying back into really cyber risk over the top? Yeah, definitely. This is really goes back to one of our fundamental tenets of cybersecurity. This does go back over 40 years ago called defense in depth. Mm-hmm. And when a senior leader, they're, they're charged with making sure whether you're in a Fortune 500 company or a small mom and pop or you're in a federal agency, your job is to make sure the business goes forward every day to serve your customers. And in that regard, there are going to be a wide, there's a wide range of risk tolerances from every senior leader. And, but they all have something in common. They're all expecting their teams to do the best job they can to protect the systems and all of the information and everything that goes into supporting those missions and business operations. And today, there is no doubt in my mind that the success of the missions and the business operations and whatever that risk tolerance might be is tied very tightly to the information technology and the operations technology that are at the underpinnings of that, uh, those businesses. You really can't operate without the technology today. So it comes down to a, a fairly simple idea. Uh, I, my risk tolerance is going to vary based upon the mission of the business operation and the C-suite, the, the senior leaders uh, up at the top. But the constant is the things that we can do to help them make better risk-based decisions. And that is going to be a combination, as you said before, it's going to be a combination doing the blocking and tackling and applying those basic uh, controls and techniques and all the things that we can do on the fundamental side, but also giving the senior leaders options. And that's where the cyber resiliency uh, techniques and approaches come in. The framework that we've developed uh, with the cyber resiliency engineering framework in 8160 volume two, that is an incredibly flexible framework starting at the hierarchy of the goals, objectives, techniques, and approaches. And you can customize that with the goals and objectives of your senior leadership in mind. And that that may be different for every organization, but the, the teams that support these senior leaders understanding the criticality of the different missions and business operations. We talked about that FIPS 199, the impact analysis. That's where that whole discussion comes into play because it may turn out that once the senior leaders can give their teams that, that, that spread, if you will, on what's critical and what's not, then they can go to work and developing those customized solutions going into that 800-160 and pulling out those specific techniques 
and those approaches that are going to support the objectives and the goals of the senior leadership team. And we shouldn't try to cookie cutter this. This should be something we, we provide this flexibility for a reason because there's such diversity in both the public and private sector organizations. And I think that communication is absolutely key between the senior leaders and the people who are going to be helping support them on the ground. And we've tried to develop our publications with this standardized terminology and, and different safeguards and countermeasures. So you can communicate those things to the senior leaders. You can do some what ifs. Hey, if we, if we apply these three techniques, or let's say we apply these three and then we apply six more, whatever those numbers are, you can give those senior leaders kind of a cost benefit analysis. What's my return on investment mm -hmm. if I do this additional work and have a discussion. And again, this is not rocket science. It's not an exact science either. It, there's going to be a lot of subjectivity here, but we, we can bring common sense and our best practices to play. And I think that's going to drive the good risk-based decisions that in some sense we don't have today because we operate in kind of this black box mentality. We just have all this commercial technology. We don't know what's going on inside the black box and we're kind of flying blind. This is an attempt to give more transparency, more visibility, and more traceability all the way from all the way through that stack up to the senior leadership level. Yeah, great. It's more prescriptive in that manner. Exactly. And I think you bring up another good point, which is um, by no means is this cookie cutter. The, hence the, the terminology, it's a framework for a purpose. You can't walk into a financial sector, a health sector and think I'm just going to apply the same thing, right? It's, I have to have these conversations almost like interviews with the business leaders to understand ultimately what is it that they're comfortable with from a risk perspective that I can then translate down and all the way to the techniques that I'm going to apply for supporting my business. That makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one thing, other thing is that, you know, our, our profession in cybersecurity for, for many years, we were in that stovepipe and, you know, a lot of us thought that uh, it was all about us, you know, and, and we were kind of the center of attention. Uh, it's really important to, to understand that we are always in a support mode. Our, mm -hmm. You know, we, we live and we exist to support those mission and business owners and they're the ultimate risk takers and the better job that we do in advising them and providing good solutions and helping them make these good decisions through a very complicated maze of security technologies and privacy you know, technologies, all of those things are very complicated. So the better job we can do of sorting through all that, all that complexity for the senior leaders, that's really where we're going to provide our, the greatest benefit to the folks at the top. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, Dr. Ross, I thank you very much for spending time with us today. Very, very great detail behind the scenes of what you've been working on for quite some time and really enjoyed the conversation and your perspective. So thank you. Thank you very much, Robert. It was a pleasure. Glad to do it. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to have us cover a specific topic of interest, feel free to reach out to us and you can find out how in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe. This podcast was brought to you by CyberRes a micro-focused line of business, where our mission is to deliver cyber resilience by engaging people, process, and technology to protect, detect, and evolve.